Yeah, hi, this is Jerome Kilmartin, JMJ Catholic Radio, bringing local and EWTN Catholic programming to Northeastern and Central Pennsylvania. Welcome to the In the Father's Hands program with host Mary-Kate Grady. Mary-Kate's guest today is Sister Deidre Byrne, a missionary sister in the Little Works of the Sacred Hearts community in Washington, D.C., and a general surgeon. One of eight siblings, and uh, originally from the Washington, D.C. area, Sister is a graduate of Virginia Tech and attended medical school at Georgetown University. Uh, Quoting the National Catholic Register, Sister Deidre, or Didi as she is called by her friends, is a medical doctor whose long career has been marked by extraordinary service. She served in the U.S. Army Medical Corps in active duty in Afghanistan in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, and later as a reservist, rising to the rank of colonel. In 1997, as a senior resident, she, deser- she delivered medical care to Mother Teresa during her five-day visit to Washington, D.C. As a missionary surgeon, she has devoted herself to helping the sick in Kenya, Sudan, Iraq, and Haiti, and has done annual medical missions to Haiti. She treated the injured after the Twin Towers were attacked in 2001. And she's a faithful member of her religious community, which has the charism of placing every person they care for between the hearts of Jesus and Mary. Sister Didi and her sisters run a pro bono physical therapy clinic, a diabetic eye clinic, do abortion pill reversal, and do sidewalk counseling at abortion clinics, as well as care for their elderly nuns at a retirement home. Sister Dee Dee is currently the superior of the Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts in Washington, D.C. Mary Kate? Well, thank you so much, Jerry, and it's so good to be with you all again um, this week. Thank you for joining us, as always. Um, Before we jump into the program, I always like to kind of give a little shout-out to JMJ Catholic Radio. Um, We're so thankful to have JMJ here in our diocese, and we ask, of course, for your prayers for all the work of JMJ, all the um, all the day-to-day ins and outs of it. And also, if you're ever able to give them a donation, it's really greatly appreciated. But more than anything, please keep their mission in your prayers. We thank you for that. Um, if you want to get in touch with JMJ, get any more information, you can give them a call at 570-287-4670. Again, that's 570-287-4670. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into our program with Sister. Sister, thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're we're excited to have you. And Sister, I always like to ask my guests, I guess this is the hardest question, but maybe maybe or maybe not. Uh, What's a favorite scripture passage or verse that you like? If you would share that with us and, and tell us why it's meaningful to you. Well, I think um, the scripture verse that Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, always um, uh, spoke of in you know Matthew twenty-five forty that says that the king shall answer and say unto them, "Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, you have done for me." And she, you know, she that was her her um, her favorite, I think, and it, it has been ingrained in my my own system too because. It helps me in the little ways or the bigger ways that I can 
and sometimes I'm questioning why am I doing something and I think whatsoever I do to the least of my brothers you're doing for me so constant reminder that everything we do is for God for our Lord that's beautiful have you has that verse been with you a, a long time in your ministry sister yes uh-huh yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. It's it's yeah. kind of like a mini examination of conscience on the daily, right? Right, it is. The other, there's also a prayer that you you started to say the prayer um, that I pray every day. Pray every time I give a talk is a a prayer that uh, was given to us in during a mystical experience by a Carmelite nun from Bethlehem. Um, she's now a saint. Uh, Mary of Jesus crucified and that prayer is Holy Spirit inspire me love of God consume me to the true path lead me Mary my mother look down upon me with Jesus bless me from all evil from all illusion from all danger preserve me amen amen that's beautiful that gets right to the point <laughs> yeah. wonderful thank you for sharing that yeah, and you know, sister, I like to um, I always like to ask my guests to dig a little bit and just to share with us about um, about you know how in their life the heavenly Father has held them in His hands, how He's held you in His hands, and maybe just how you've seen that throughout your life. Um, maybe when you were younger, or throughout your ministry, how have you kind of felt the heavenly Father leading and and guiding you? Um, well, I can just see. Uh, that just in the early years when I was discerning, I've spent some time in learning how to a religious sister who actually has been euthanized, and it's going to be a new mission of mine um, of, of doing a documentary on euthanasia, how assist, how um, I would learn to do the, the Ignatian spiritual exercise to discern which direction to go. Mm-hmm. And it would always be before the Blessed Sacrament, and every and I would spend time praying to discern which direction to go. And every time, it seems like every time, um, I would journal or write down things. Beautiful things would happen, you know. So, for example, I'll just give a few examples. Sure. Uh, one was when I was in Korea and I first met Sister Philip Marie Burley, who was a she was an international retreat leader, and had a healing ministry. And she was giving a retreat. I was stationed in the army at that time in Seoul, Korea. And she always said, you know, Dee Dee, remember you're Jesus' doctor. And she would give she gave me a bottle of Lord's water, and I would. She said, you use this to to um, bless your patients. And I took it a little bit step further, and I'd have the priest bless the IV fluids um, so mm, that the patients wow. were getting IV infusion. And so I was asked to medevac a patient who was in a coma. Um, just the short version of the story was. I, her daughter was a Catholic, and she was in a coma on a breathing machine called a ventilator for over a month. And when I was asked to bring her back to the States in a typical military medevac flight, which takes three days, um, after anointing her and blessing her and praying over her, she woke up. So it was the very my first experience of a wow. of an incredible miracle. And um, after that, I realized, you know, God was real. He had a mission for me. And so, uh, you know, I was uh, blessed to be on September 11th. I was bringing some, I wasn't a sister yet. I was about to enter the little workers. I'd met them through a, um, a military priest. 
and that's a whole different story, but um, I was in Manhattan on September 10th bringing some of the missionaries of charity to their house in the Bronx, and that morning I was in Manhattan. So I was on September 11th. We were there to experience the firsthand assault of our country wow. by an, an unknown enemy. So the Lord had put me there. Mm. Um, and, you know, later on in my well, actually, before that, um, again, Mother Teresa was my high school hero. I mean, I read about her, and and as a surgical resident at Georgetown, um, she had come to Washington in 1927. I'm sorry, 1997. Mm-hmm. And so I was. The sisters asked me to be with her for that week, and um, just to be escort. So the, that was a grace. That same year, a little bit before, our Cardinal Hickey, His Eminence. Um, Washington D.C. Cardinal was had come to Washington from Lords with a crushing chest pain. I was a chief resident that's on that service, so I was able to firsthand um, first assist in this open heart surgery. Held his wow. slow pulsatile heart as they were doing the bypass surgery, and after that he became my, you know, in a sense, a very my spiritual guide. I took care of him. For the nine days he was in the ICU, and we became very close. He was a very good cardinal, and so he he was trying to help me find the right community. And I was in the mantra, "Lord, to whom shall I go?" Because the medical communities I was um, looking at, thinking that would be the obvious fit, were very liberal for me. I'm a kind of an old-fashioned gal. And it was uh, through the Eucharist I met this community, the Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts, where the founder had said his words were, it was before the most blessed sacrament that I found the love of Jesus and the power of that love. And those words really, really um, pierced me. And because Mm -hmm. I had fallen in love with the Eucharist, uh, learning how to really um, uh, spend time in prayer and because Cardinal Hickey, when I was, had asked me after my surgical training, I'd went to California, and after I finished getting my board certification, which in surgery takes a couple of years with written and oral exams, he asked me to come back to Washington and spend a half a day of prayer and a half a day serving the poor. So I lived with the missionaries of charity for a couple of years, and you know it was very easy because they are a very prayerful community. So I was able to literally spend about five hours every day praying and discerning and asking the Lord, um, Lord, to whom shall I go? And it was soon thereafter that I met the little workers. Um, and before I had been seeking, looking, it was sort of like a, a natural a natural um, course for me. But it wasn't um, automatic. It was with deep prayer and spending time and trying to do what God wanted me to do, which is not always easy because... It's not always Lord do my will. <laughs> Thy will is more my will. True. So, I mean, I have yeah. I have so many stories. I, I guess one I'll just tell tell one last story that just helped me realize you know God had a plan, um, and that was uh, last year when I, I oh so my last I had spent 29 years in the army. I was both a sister. Got special permission after September 11th to be both a religious sister. Um, and a and doctor in the army, I was um, served. My last assignment was in two thousand and eight. Okay. Um, and uh, two thousand and eight, and I was in, in Afghanistan. 
So last year, I received a call from a, a man with a foreign accent and said, my mother's been captured by the Taliban. Please help her. And I was kind of stunned because, first of all, I wasn't sure if this was a legitimate and how did he get my number. So I sure, yeah. I um, asked him to email me. He did. Showed me pictures of his mother. And lo and behold, I did know her. The next morning, we were having mass. It was Sunday and, and friends were there. And I want some friends who work with Congressman Chris Smith, and they they directed me to a, a man named Jason Jones. You should interview him sometime. Jason started a thing called the Vulnerable People's Project, and he in those days, um, those days being last year, was really involved with the Afghan problem. After we pulled out. Uh, so many people were left behind that w mm. were citizens and were our fellow workers who were under threat with Taliban. And Jason, in about three weeks, got this family food, water, and coal. Um, another about three weeks later, he got 13 members across the border to a safe haven. So, I mean, it was nothing about, it was nothing I did, but it was the Lord. You know, it's like when you kind of had, that was definitely one mission impossible. And I thought, Lord, um, what can we do? And he, he makes it unfold. As long as we, I just try my hardest to duck low and stay out of the way and let him do the work. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and I was just wondering, sister, you know, you um went you know, of course, your life changed a bit um, being in the military versus becoming a religious sister. Now, you did both at the same time, which that's a little bit unusual. Um, yeah. But, you know, what, um, um, how should I say it, you know... How did that you, happen? Yeah, yeah, kind of guess how did that happen, and, and how has being a religious sister changed your medical practice? It, it well, it, I think that when I... Well, first of all, how did it happen... Um, you know, our sisters are predominantly Italian, and we're international. Um, our, this, my old superior, who my dearest friend actually died two weeks ago, so it's a little bit of a heavy heart here. But Sister Licha talks about how she always told me, because she knew of my military connection, which I, I entered the military as a medical student. And they gave, I was a part of the Health Professional Scholarship Program, great program, where you, you serve and they... They, we have a tuition, a free education. So that's how I got in. Served first as a family practice doctor, then went out, did missionary work, and then went back in and followed my heart, which was surgery. And then um, when I finished my obligation, I didn't really, I mean, I had been out of the military, but I didn't resign my commission. I was just an inactive reservist. Mm -hmm. When I was in sort of a um, nebulous zone in 20 to 20, a little bit after 21, I joined a military unit that backed Walter Reed Hospital. I, I live in D.C., so it was a 10-minute drive. But I discovered that I had been passed over, which meant that I wasn't able to go back in because I was only a major when I was in Korea. But I had a friend write a letter on my behalf and basically state that I had gone, I was out of the system, out of the net for seven years because I was becoming a general surgeon and because that was sort of a highly needed um, mission I was I was accepted back in and became a lieutenant colonel at that time fairly quickly afterwards again that was God's 
God's work because when I spent a lot of time in prayer, I and I was really feeling that God was calling me to be a religious sister ever since I was a little girl. I kept seeing myself back in the military uniform. So I, I would say, Lord, you know, what is what is this? Is this me really thinking I want to be a stay a civilian or not a civilian, but not, you know, a lay person and work in the military or what is what is it that you want of me? So as the time went on, and I, it was now 2000, finished my surgical training, I became a lieutenant colonel fairly quickly. So now here I have one foot in the military door, serving at Walter Reed, and then I met the little workers pretty much about the same time. And our sisters, Sister Leecha, my superior, used to tell stories about when she was about a 12-year-old girl in the southern part of Italy. The, their village was not captured by the Nazis, but the village next door was. And then the U.S. Air Force came in and some through some military intel bombed and basically got rid of the, the enemy. And basically she felt the U.S. military saved Italy. And there was always wow. a great love for our U.S. military through this Italian community. So when this all happened, remember the towers fell, the Pentagon yeah. was hit. Lots of things were happening that was not... Um, um, you know, that was very abnormal. I was given permission to, if I could finish my formation, um, because our community was very, they, they were very pro-support of the military. Um, I got permission to um, enter and do that if I finished my formation, which I did. 2004, I made first vows, and then soon thereafter, I got deployed first in Walter Reed, it was only as a reservist for three months. But then my last, so when I made final, I had made final vows. And then, and I was doing sh just short little stints at that time, you know, weekend things. And I would have to kind of get in that uncomfortable position, taking my habit off and, you know, going in the hospital. But I, when I work as a religious sister, I still wear my, I wear scrubs in the operating room. So it's, it's, uh, that's sort of my, in my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. But what has changed a bit is that, you know, I know that when I go into the hospital now, in my habit, I go to the doctor's lounge, people come up to me and say, Sister, how can I help? Or my patients all feel this immediate, uh, you know, relaxation mm. of knowing I'm going to be operating on them. That might be a false security, but anyhow, they feel some security there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And so that's how, in a sense, that's where it's really different because I can really, especially like when I go to over places like Sudan where there's, you know, we are in a war zone there. Many of my patients are not Christian, they're Muslim, but they still feel this comfort and they I, they see me as a a witness to Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's wonderful because they're not looking at me, the person, but they're looking at, at me as a, foot soldier for Christ and sure. so whether I'm a foot soldier for our soldiers or whether I was a foot soldier for the poor it was a, an incredible blessing and a gift from God to be able for me to be able to do that yeah wow and you know I think it's so important um, you know especially people are so vulnerable right when they're sick um, or going to undergo surgery they're not sure about coming out and what's going to happen and so just to bring the presence of Christ there because you and I both know he's always there right but maybe they're not sure or they've forgotten or maybe no one's told them and so um, you're you're bringing you're making that presence 
uh, visible to them, and that just brings such peace, you know. Well, you know, exactly. You know, my mantra has always been I'm, I'm a very pro-life doctor, which is unfortunate we have to spell that out, but I'm a pro-life doctor and pro-eternal life. And I tell everyone, life is so simple. It, we, this little way of the cross is short, really. But it's it's also very simple because what we have to do is just stay in the state of grace. And we thank I thank our priest, our persona Christi, the ones that bring Christ to us in the Eucharist and get reconcile our sins, you know, as Christ does. So uh, we must be in the state of grace so we can see clearly as our Lord sees. And then we try to bring that to everyone who God brings into our life, whether it's our family members, friends, some lady at the the grocery store or, you know, in the metro or whatever, you know, whoever Jesus brings to us, we have to sort of bring that that love to him, to them. And yeah, so to great. to promote eternity of life and so pro life, pro eternal life. Yeah, and I find that when you go into medical work with um, keeping the idea of eternal life in mind, but also the dignity of the human person, it totally affects the kind of care you provide, you know, um, uh, trying out other avenues, not giving up on people, um, just just the attitude and the approach, it just changes everything, you know. Well, just a simple smile and, and just a little touch on the shoulder or something really means a lot to people because you know unfortunately i hate to say this but but medicine has become a business now and with covid all that has happened with so many people being isolated and mm-hmm. and the unvaccinated being treated like lepers um everybody had to wear masks so their face were covered you couldn't see their smile Mm-hmm. The fear, anxiety, feeling of worthlessness, that whole thing, that mass transformation psychosis that Dr. Desmond Manute talks about, a psychologist from Belgium, that created this uh, anxiety in everybody. Mm-hmm. And that was very unfortunate because that's not the way we we were trained in our earlier years. That, that sure. even, even many of us doctors who felt... I'm in this category. I wasn't a big fan of the, I'm no fan of the vaccine, to be honest with you. Sure. Uh, we were treated poorly. I, I, another little God's grace was this, the Washington DC took my medical license away. So I couldn't practice medicine in 2022 um, for three weeks only because uh, they refused my religious exemption even though I've been caring for the poor for two years, all through COVID, mm-hmm. I had COVID. I had um, ample immunity, um, and uh, they tried to take it away and and refuse everybody's. And the Thomas More Society helped me sue the government. We won, and and um, thanks to you know Raymond Arrero and and Laura Ingram, where we were able to put the spotlight up into the national level. Mm-hmm. And we in three weeks, the city ended up paying the Thomas More lawyers um, uh, $30,000 wow. uh, as a, yeah. you know, and pl- and I got my license back. And everyone else in D.C. who wanted a religious exemption got there, did, was, was approved, basically. You, you had to take it for the team there, sister. <laughs> well, you know what? The devil, when we're doing good things, the devil's going to attack. It's like the Air Force... Um, 
uh, pilots during the Second World War that said, the bullets are not flying to you, you're going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So I try to tell people, if you're having a hard time with things, it means you're doing the right thing. Right, right. And, Absolutely. you know, um, so I, I was fine. I couldn't figure out why the city would. Well, I mean, I have some ideas of why they don't like me, but why they chose me. But I mm. suppose if I went down, everybody would go down. Sure, yeah. But we have yep. two We have two responses, you know, the fight or the flight. And I'm in my Irish roots. I, I like, I, I fight, you know, <laughs> and we didn't, we need to do that. We need to stand strong in yeah. together with all these things that are happening in the world in the country stand strong and keep your eyes on the cross those were the last words mother teresa told me when i sat with her the day that she left us in washington in 97 she said keep your eyes on the cross mm. and um you know the lord will protect us and don't don't be disheartened if you have difficulty. It means you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that, sister. That's that's powerful. That was powerful. You know, sister, we're actually almost out of time. So mm-hmm. before we close out, if people, sister, like maybe want to get a hold of you or, or the work that you're doing or this um, maybe this documentary or this uh, video you talked about making, how could they make contact with you, sister, or kind of see what you're up to? Um. Well, they can email me um, at, uh, just put like documentary or SOS Sister Didi. Um, it's M-M, P is in Paul, O is in Oscar, S is in Sam, C is in Charlie, at gmail.com. Perfect. That's, That's probably the best way. Okay. And I have, I have someone looking at those emails and will divert it over to okay. me. I, I'm sure that you probably don't have a whole lot of time on your hands, sister, but, um, you know, just because of your experience, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that might have questions with, with mm-hmm. medical things, wanting to, to do the pro-life decision, especially when it comes to caring for the elderly or the unborn, and so um, thank you for, for putting that out there for people. I appreciate that. You're welcome, and we, when we get this documentary out, we want to share it with the world. Um, yeah, to, please. So I, I, I would love to see it. Yeah, I think Deacon Jim will know. You can connect with him. Okay, that would be yeah. great. He's the one that connected us, I believe, correct? He did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he did, for sure. Yep. Good. <laughs> All right, sister. Well, we got to run, but thank you so much for coming on. And, and please know of my prayers. And, and don't stop, sister. Please keep up the good work. You too. We're in this together. Right, thank you. God bless you. God bless Bye-bye. you. And we'll be with you all again soon. Bye-bye thank now. Thank you. Bye-bye.